Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Michael Leader. I'm David Jenkins. And I'm Elena Lazik. And on the show today... Andrew Garfield is struggling to play Rent in the musical Tick, Tick, Boom. We also look at the new releases Cry Macho and You Will Die at 20. And in Film Club, we have a provocative classic from the 90s, Mike Lee's Naked. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, welcome back, listeners. Welcome back. Eleanor, it's been a long time. How are you doing? How have you been? Uh, I'm good. I've been well. Um, nothing major to report. But uh, yeah, it's lovely to be back. And now that uh, cinemas are properly open and everything. So yeah. Yeah, spending time at the movies. It's what we like doing. Mm-hmm. And David, there is big news at Little White Lies Towers. The new issue has been revealed, right? Yes, it has been revealed. In fact, yeah, we, re- we kind of revealed the cover just as the podcast was was rolling out last week so um yeah we we pro- the, it's properly available on shelves now um and uh through for subscribers as well should be getting it imminently um yeah so it's issue 91 um rolling ever close to the to the big one 100 um and yeah, it's on a, a, the cover film for this issue is a movie called uh, Titane by the director Julia Dorkenau. And the film uh, might be, uh, people might recognise that title as the film that won the Palme d'Or in Cannes back in July this year. Um, it's it's definitely a film that I think is a, is a talk, is going to be like a sort of major talking point and... Um, it's a kind of, you know, it's it's a very kind of indescribable film. Um, I, I don't think calling it a horror film is quite right. Uh, it's it's kind of a sort of weird psychodrama with sci-fi elements and experimental elements and musical elements. It's 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 a very it's very much a sort of genre mashup. And um, uh, yeah, I think it's a film that you kind of have to see to to have an opinion on and. Um, yeah, I, I was I, I I was really kind of blown away by it when I, unexpectedly so actually because um, uh, I, I maybe was came to it with a with a little sort of dash of skepticism when I saw it because because you know when a film has been like massively hyped as it was in Cannes I, I'm always a bit like oh okay because I I didn't see it over there and then yeah when when I eventually saw it and was really kind of uh, over like very it's it's a very kind of moving film at the end of the day but but yeah so we've done this issue and we've got like a really incredible interview with julia by um podcast occasional podcast guest anna bogostaya um uh and um hannah hannah strong has talked to agatha russell who's the the, the lead actor actress in it um and yeah it's it, it we've got lots of sort of things covering the world of like metal fetishes and uh, self-harm in cinema and um uh makeup effects in cinema as well it's it's a it's a real kind of treasure trove in in the feature section and we've got some cool interviews as well so yeah uh that's that's my pitch um and you know the, the I guess one of the sort of bigger thing, biggest things as well is that the cover is very special in that you know as as readers of the mag will know we tend to have a, a kind of illustration on the cover 
which is you know usually a, an artwork um and and this time we've actually the artwork is actually a, a, a tattoo on the the body of of my colleague hannah strong um uh, which is uh which is it's something that will kind of i guess it will make make sense when you see the film in that the lead actor has lots of tattoos on her but it's very much kind of like intended to be representative of this idea as the as the film being about the kind of the the limits of the human body and 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 also the sort of how malleable and 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 you know it the 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 human body as a kind of artwork in and of itself so um yeah that's if you you know go to head to our social media feeds website and you you'll be able to to see that in all its all its gory glory yeah, Hannah, strong by name, strong by nature, being tattooed Indeed. for the cause. And so so funny as well to see this magazine coming to shelves uh, at the same time as the long-delayed 40th anniversary issue of the Rolling Stones' Tattoo You. So you've got two yes. covers there with tattoos on. <laughs> yes, yes. Weirdly, and on that note, I, 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 I last night I re-watched the movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High, right. the Amy Heckling high school movie, and... In the background of one of the characters' bedrooms is a giant tattoo you poster. I'm I'm imagining from when the the album came out. It's it's it was like oh wow this it's sort of like I've almost hit a little weird mini anniversary from watching this film of the of the tattoo you thirtieth. <laughs> <Yeah. 30th. laughs> well, is that magazine on shelves now, or is it still making its way to shops? It is. Great. Yeah, you should be you should find it in all good. Um, I want to say magazine shops, but I don't think those exist anymore. Newsagents, WH Smiths, mm-hmm. um, art art galleries, places like that, Magma, mm-hmm. all those places, but also available on 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 through our website as well, directly. Well, we'll have to check it out. But first, we have new releases to get to, so let's kick things off with Andrew Garfield in Tick Tick Boom. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. On the cusp of his 30th birthday, a promising young theatre composer navigates love, friendship and the pressures of life as an artist in New York City, based on the life of Jonathan Larson, who would go on to compose the hit musical Rent. So, Eleanor, we should talk about Rent for a second, right? So you're part of a small cohort of friends and colleagues who... How many times have you seen Rent now? Um, I would say between five and ten times in the last two or three years I've seen um, I've been seeing live productions um, sort of not I wouldn't say across the UK because that sounds like a lot more extensive than what we've done which is look for productions of rent which are actually they never stop there's always a production of rent somewhere in the UK and going there by train or by you know tube if it's not if we're lucky and it's in London and yeah I, I just feel like 
I mean, I sort of got into this almost by accident because my, my friends are, for some reason, obsessed with rent and it's very unclear whether it... I mean, it was unclear initially whether it was a sort of ironic thing or a sincere thing. But now, I mean, the, the boundaries between the two are completely blurred. I, I cannot tell whether <laughs> I, I actually like the show the way I like any other, you know, shows or films or anything. Um, but the fact is, it's a big part of my life. And... Uh, yeah, and, and it's just, um, it's also been a great way for me to just watch live musicals um, very cheaply. <laughs> it's cheaper than going to see Mamma Mia or whatever. Yeah, so were you excited, intrigued to see this, knowing that it's like the story behind the composer of Rent? We'll unpick exactly what it is in a minute, I suppose, because it's quite formally confusing in some ways. But were you intri- intrigued by this film, the basic concept of it? Um, I was not particularly intrigued, no, because I, um, I knew that Rent is considered to be uh, Larson's best work, or at least the most famous one. I mean, I, I, I sort of understand why it broke through and what became this huge success. And I know, and I knew, I didn't really know what Tick Tick Boom was until I really saw the film. But um, I, I knew that it was, you know, not performed very often, so I was already a bit skeptical. Uh, but then. I, I'm not a huge fan of Lin-Manuel Miranda either, so that didn't that didn't uh, inspire a lot of uh, excitement. And then also, Andrew Garfield, as much as I love him, I I find myself constantly baffled by his choices of mm. films <clears throat> to be in. And uh, I just I I do love him as a as an actor in in a lot of things. I would say I mean it's quite old now, but especially in the Social Network. But ever since the some of the choices he's made just completely baffle me, and I find him quite irritating on screen. Um, but yeah, so I wouldn't say I was completely <laughs> excited, but um, I'm, it was kind of interesting just to, because it is so much about Jonathan Larson's life, just to learn a bit more about his background and what his life was like. Yeah, so let's let's pick apart what this, this film is doing. I, I, when I was watching it, I had to sort of, in my head, break apart, deconstruct what this is, because Pick, Tick, Tick, Boom was a musical that Jonathan Larson, as a soon-to-be 30-year-old struggling um, playwright and musical composer, wrote about himself semi-autobiographically about the struggle of trying to make it to New York City and after working for eight years you know waiting tables at a diner and trying to get this high concept sci-fi dystopian musical off the ground and Jonathan Larson in this is played by Andrew Garfield however he wrote this before he then would go on to write Rent which was a major breakthrough one of the longest running shows on Broadway highest grossing musical productions but he he very tragically died before the opening night. So it has this mm. spectre of Rent over a musical that was not in anticipation of Rent. So the trailer and the wraparound um, voiceover and uh, narration of this film positions it as this is what happened before Rent, although the characters in this film haven't even dreamed of Rent yet. So it's a very bizarre origin story that can't really be an origin story. So on a conceptual level, it's quite confusing to begin with, but I suppose... Does it still work beyond that for you, Eleanor? Well, I, I was tr- I was actually thinking about that when I was watching the film. I was just wondering uh, if you don't know Rent, which I do think some people don't know Rent. I know it was huge in the 90s, but I think it was maybe more huge in the US as well. So I don't know if it means that much here. And when I speak to people now about Rent, most of them are like, what is that? Like, or... Uh, oh no I have absolutely no interest you know they react quite uh, if they're not into it (laughs) so I was a bit confused about uh, first of all um, who this film is for because it's not Rent it's not the famous one it's not the big one that that sort of you know you can grow to like if if like me you're exposed to it over and over and over again Uh, and it's also just not um, if if you don't know Rent, then why would you want to know about the origin story of the guy before he was famous for Rent? So it's it's kind of a weird concept, and I don't really know. I guess the thing is, it's because it's a Netflix film. I'm sure it will find its fans there, like people you know who love musicals or who like Rent. They do exist. Um, but yeah, it's, it was. It, I, I don't know if there's much in it really for people who don't like Rent, but I just don't know if there's much in it for like. I mean, it sounds rude, but I don't really know who it is for at all. Like, I don't know who, because it's, as someone who likes Rent, what happened when I watched it is I had the Rent song stuck in my head. I didn't have any of the songs from Tick Tick Boom stuck in my head because I found them quite irritating and I, I just didn't find that it worked really at all as a musical or as an experience or as a film or as just a series of songs strung together. So I I, I didn't really like the film or the songs or anything. Um, 
and then if if you if you don't know rent if you don't care about it i don't know mm. why you would have any I, I i mean i guess the thing is that it's the titic boom is such a compact thing uh that it, it doesn't it almost exists on its own you know in the ether like there's no connections to anything real uh and it's like if you've not seen rent or if you have it doesn't almost doesn't make a difference because it's like its own thing yeah. completely so I, I don't really so, know david that's that that's the rent head take perhaps um <laughs> what, what, what what's your, your thoughts on on uh on tick tick boom well i, I i'm i was fascinated to hear that bit from elena because yeah we went to see the film together and we did a cl- kind of it was a kind of very classic i had to sort of dash off afterwards so we haven't really spoken about our thoughts on the film. So this is like, I'm getting this completely fresh from Elena. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I would have to refute, refute some of your claims as someone who is not, um, I'm not familiar with Rent. I've never seen it. Uh, and I think I, for me, the film worked really well. Um, I, 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 I was... Um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 as you say, Michael, yeah, it, it, it kind of like, it's from the guy who did Rent, but it's, but it isn't necessarily an origin story of that film. It doesn't have the kind of, um, and even, even when taken as a biopic, because it is about a guy, you know, Andrew Garfield playing this real life guy based on, you know, his, his mannerisms and, um, cadence as captured in lots of little kind of, um, uh, home video recordings of performances uh, many of which are on youtube so you can actually see how close um garfield gets it which is which is actually really close um really close without being kind of like a sort of copycat pastiche is that is you know i think he's he's bringing his own character to it as well um but yeah I, i for me the film like completely aside from all the kind of cultural stuff all the all the um the history the 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 the, the, the real life story i i really liked it as a film that is actually about something about about kind of creativity making art and actually what like believing it that that it can be successful and connecting to people and in many ways i mean the the, the specter of rent in, in the back is it, it sits in the background and there's you know there's not really anything on it in the film directly there's maybe a few kind of allusions to things along the way with his kind of interactions with friends. And I think you, there, there is kind of some material on, on, on the AIDS crisis and how he is, he is kind of sits at the periphery of that through his kind of friendship group. But, um, but actually like the, 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 the meat of the film is about this, him sort of believing beyond anything that he has created this incredible piece of art in this musical called um, Superbia, which I don't. But I mean, I've I had a quick look online, and I don't think it's ever been produced. Um, despite I imagine there being like a a full score for it, um, and it, I think it, it it ends up being this film about kind of thwarted ambition and something that's quite kind of um, I think rare in cinema is this idea of like you know you you. you it's it's actually quite similar to i mean this is gonna this you might kind of bulk at this comparison but actually the film that i found it most similar to is inside lewin davis because you you have got this kind of struggling bohemian new yorker who is making what to ostensibly to us um although as elena says results may vary that this this great music that is that is that people are kind of saying unequivocally is impressive and great and uh and um and and exciting and yet within the system within the kind of you know within capitalism there is there is just isn't a place for it there is like the 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 people who decide whether that can be you know delivered to people have said you know no it can't so like you you're actually getting something that's quite kind of you know there there is a, a kind of life lesson in there um that that i that, that i found is is sort of delivered in this really kind of quite um you know not sophisticated way i would say uh secondly i i i think uh, last thing i'll say on it is um yeah i i i thought garfield was like stunning in this like really kind of like i i, I mean i think i agree i agree with elena's point about you know his 
his choice of films is is kind of quite eccentric at times and he's definitely trying to sort of like you know um, build a career that's off the beaten track somewhat but you know there was just a sense from like the first shot of the film that he was you know he 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 was doing something that he was really enjoying doing and just giving it his absolute all um i mean yeah, there there I, there I there is <laughs> yeah i think having a great time <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i think that like sometimes when you see an actor like i don't think he's just i don't it's not just chewing scenery in this case it's kind of like you know chewing it digesting it and uh whatever else you do after that but like he uh he he um he uh, there were a couple of sequences like there's there's a there's one in in the flat where he sings this song called bohemia which I've had, which is is which I've actually had in my head since since seeing it, like walking up and down the street, going, "This is the life." Bo, 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 bo. <laughs> Sorry, you can edit that out. Um, and and then that the, he does this really incredible kind of what ostensibly would be a kind of super cheesy piano number in the park while it's raining at the end, which actually I found like quite extraordinary as a kind of performance piece. Um, and how yeah he he just sells the song um uh yeah i mean i, I it's it, it's fascinating i i mean i think that what, what when you say about you know ren and and for, i guess for me it definitely felt as a kind of ode to sort of gen x that that kind of 90s era <clears throat> where you, you know like that, that maybe is a bit you know it is almost a bit kind of historical in that nature um, but yeah, I do. I do wonder if people like you know m- more modern audiences who don't know Rent and maybe think Rent of something quite kind of camp and silly and throwaway and of a of a of a certain era might actually yeah bulk mm. at this film. Um, all I'm going to say uh, is that you should definitely check out Rent. It sounds like you would love Rent because Rent does so many similar things and I think better. Like it is also about there's also a character in it that's like a struggling artist. And everybody thinks he's a set out when he accepts to make a documentary for television. Uh, right. There's also, um, there's, there's all the same elements, but sort of in a more musical world. Right. It's a bit, it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's like sort of, I feel like he's, Jonathan, you can feel Jonathan Larson sort of maturing as an artist if you compare the two. So you, yeah. you would love Rent. Just watch oh, Rent. Oh, wow, okay. You'll love it. And well, the songs are better. Usually, David, you're the one bringing <laughs> recommendations to the podcast, but there's a big one for you. Let's put some scores on Tick, Tick, Boom then. Um, Eleanor, I'll come to you first. In anticipation, enjoyment in retrospect. I guess anticipation, I would say free, enjoyment free and retrospect free as well because I was just not really into it. And uh, and, and just I, I agree with you that Andrew Garfield is great in this role. Like I, I don't find him... I, I just find him usually he just does too much but for this world it makes sense because that's the character and that's the sort of type of movie it is so fair enough um but i just in just overall i just don't think it really makes sense as a i don't think I, I, and i found the character quite irritating because he's an artist and he everybody's telling him just get over yourself right do your stuff and stop being mean to people which is also what happens in rent but in rent i feel like it's done better and i, I feel like there's a sort of real self-awareness that's in the character in rent um, so yeah, I didn't. I I would say free, free, free. David. Yeah, um, I probably would probably probably say two, just because I, I I don't really have I didn't really have much in anticipation of two because I didn't really have much knowledge of Lin Manuel's work beyond In the Heights, which I thought was like fine, um, and um, and yeah, or, or as as you say, Rent. Uh, but yeah, I, I I was a bit I was surprised by how much I like this, and I'd probably say it's like fours for me. I think this maybe like um, some of the like if it, my, my qualifications are that some some I think some of the direction is a bit scrappy, and that like editing wise, there's lots of kind of padding out montages. Um, there's just maybe just too many of those. It's quite it's it's the film's just over two hours, and I think it's sort of. There are moments that slightly outstay their welcome, but I just yeah I, just, I mean I thought across the board really great performances from everyone involved, um, you know some some little Easter eggs in there for the for the the, the theatrical crowd I guess <laughs> yeah I suppose I'd give this two three three um, I had quite a good good time with it whilst being baffled as I said I think the comparison with Inside Lou and Davis is a really good one David but also 
it's not like Inside Lewin Davis ended with and then he went and recorded Freewheeling Bob Dylan <laughs> two years later. Uh, so it it, it 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 loses some of that um, universal metaphorical angle for me. But Andrew yeah. Garfield is. But then, but then he does die. So I mean, it's like it's what is that? Is that not more tragic that he does? It's like imagine if he recorded his free wheel in it, but then I'm died sure before Lewin it came Davis out. Davis would and have actually... loved that the character from Inside Lewin Davis. <laughs> uh, but of course, sadly, I mean, of course, the real life from, story from, is incredibly from tragic hell, yeah. um, for Jonathan Larson. But I will say, Andrew Garfield, one of my favourite performers. He has such a an open charm to him, that, and that I, I find it so easy to to feel for him and love him, even when he's do, when he's larking about in his flat singing about the Bohemian life. Even if that did stick in your head, David. But I'd I'd, I'd give this a soft recommendation, even if you if you're baffled by the rent connection, if you've not seen it, maybe check this out when it's on Netflix. But it is in cinemas. And then oh, watch sorry, Rent. Oh yeah, and then go and watch <laughs> Rent. <laughs> yeah. You go watch a live production, it's even better. Performed by students in Shrewsbury, <laughs> wherever. <laughs> yes, ideal. Well, listeners, that is Tick, Tick, Boom, our big release this week. Let us know what you think at the usual channels, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or at LWLies on Twitter. Next, we're going to do something a little bit different. We have two more films throughout this week that we wanted to shout out, but we split off into separate little groups to recover these films. Up first, we have Clint Eastwood's latest, Cry Macho. Eleanor, you saw that. How old is Clint now? Is he 340 or something? (laughs) (laughs) Almost. He's 91, um, which is already Mm. quite impressive. Um, And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I guess... For some people, if you're like a fan of Clint Eastwood or something, you might be just moved by the, by just the fact of seeing him at that age still making movies and knowing he's also directing and acting on screen and still being an amazing actor, by the way. Uh, but I found that this a bit, it, it kind of leans into that a bit too much. It's a bit like, oh, wow, what a legend, uh, this old man with old these old classical values and... It's a bit sad because there are things that he regrets and things. And I'm like, yes, okay. Uh, but I didn't find, I, I found it a bit simplistic in a way, I guess. Um, the sort of, it hits a lot of like very classical, but not just classical, but also quite cliched beats in the story and in the characters. Um, the only thing I would say that's kind of um, really interesting as well, sort of, I guess, narratively, is that basically Clint Eastwood plays this guy who doesn't really do anything. He's just there and everybody around him acts and reacts to him and to his presence and sort of get angry, get upset, get all kinds of emotions. But he's just spends the entire film, which is quite convenient for him at his age, just there and not really doing anything and not really, you know, not really having much action, except a few scenes where he suddenly becomes an action man. And it's impossible. (laughs) Like there's a scene where he literally breaks a wild horse and he could not do that. That is not Clint Eastwood on the horse. I hope it wasn't him because I'll be very worried for his well-being. Um, so there are, there are a few moments like that that are quite, you know, implausible and strange. And, and it's kind of like, it feels like a film that you, you need, it's not reality and it's also not just a film and it, you need to watch it through like, lay, it, it's like a film made through like loads of layers of history and, and things and, and time. And it's like so very mercurial in that way. Um, but yeah, I guess, I mean, if you, if you love Clint and you want to see him at, just as a performer, I, I would recommend watching it because he's still an amazing actor. So what scores would you give it very quickly? I would say, um, I, would, I would probably still say, well, I don't know because I gave three to Tick Tick Boom, but I think probably three as well all across the board. Maybe four, three, three because I was a bit disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but it's not the same at all as Tick Tick Boom, it's just the same numbers. Well, that's that's Cry Macho in cinemas as, as well this weekend. David, you wanted to shout out a film called You Will Die at 20. Can you tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, yeah. Slightly, uh, I guess, smaller release on the calendar. Um, it's uh, a Sudanese film, which is another sort of rarity. You know, don't get to see much kind of African uh, sub-Saharan filth cinema in, in UK cinemas. This is a kind of nice opportunity for that um uh yeah it's it's a it's a debut film by amjad abu alala um and it's got this very intriguing premise where um at the beginning of the film a mother um gives birth to a to a son and takes the son to this kind of uh tribe it's a kind of tribal festival gathering kind of thing and there's dance and it's quite 
it's quite sort of shrill and intense and the baby's crying and there are lots of people around and um um it's yeah it's it's quite a sort of heightened tension moment and um she there are kind of whirling dervishes there and this whirling dervish kind of suddenly in the presence of this baby faints and uh, counts to 20 and um and everyone kind of there through their kind of haze of suspicion and uh and tradition reads this as that the the baby will die at, at 20 so uh f- for this very kind of strange arcane reason which the collective instantly buys into just merely through the through suggestion um this young child has is handed a death sentence and the film is kind of about the the, the we then flash straight forward to him as an old, as an as an older older boy like closer to his 20th birthday and um this this sense that this this it, it, I guess it's this this the story is about this film who's uh, about this boy who's lived under the shadow of of a death sentence and of not only his own kind of existential feelings of well you know how, of how much he buys into this this notion but also how he's treated by others as a kind of something of a social pariah so um, yeah it's a really kind of it's quite a gentle film it's um, it's just involves his kind of interactions with people around him and you getting a, a real sense of the sort of social strata and the sort of progressives versus versus traditional debate and also him pondering things like that he might miss and you know there's there is a kind of romance element in there as well and yeah it's just a really lovely thoughtful and really strong debut feature as well um beautifully shot and and acted it's maybe a kind of little pondering and and meandering at times like uh i mean it it maybe feels like one of those kind of 70 minute films that that kind of runs on over 100 minutes but um but yeah like really really strong central performance by the 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 lead actor who is called mustafa shihata um but yeah definitely like you know if you if you're if you don't want to see clint and you've seen bond and all and 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 eternals then definitely like seek this one out what scores would you give it david uh i'd probably give it like uh it's definitely a kind of i think it's a it's a three three four four i would say um definitely like yeah it's it's a sort of a film that kind of you don't really go to with any kind of preconceptions and it's just sort of it's very kind of maybe three three four because it's very kind of quietly impressive it's it's a film that doesn't necessarily wow you while you're watching but actually it's kind of power accrues later on so uh but but still still a still a recommendation from me Mm. well they have it listeners there's the new releases for this week up next we have film club avert your eyes mike lee's naked Naked has been newly remastered by the BFI National Archive and is available on Blu-ray for the first time in the UK. It's about Johnny, who's a frenetic and destructive outsider who tears through the lives of others like an emotional tornado. On the run from Manchester, he seeks sanctuary with his ex-girlfriend Louise in London, where he immediately targets her vulnerable housemate Sophie with his unique blend of predatory charm. From there, he embarks on a nocturnal odyssey across the city, dragging other disaffected souls into his orbit as he spirals towards his own personal apocalypse. So, Mike Lee may be known commonly as tea cosies and knitwear, potentially, or his more recent films like Mr. Turner or Peter Lou's for grand uh historical features this is a something a little bit different stands outside of his work a little bit david would you say yeah i would agree um i think sort of prior prior to this film yeah he his his stuff was is was the kind of quote unquote i guess post kitchen sink generation of, of british filmmaking um you know the things like abigail's party and uh um uh life is sweet and uh and 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 uh and whatnot and um yeah this was this was the kind of first real revelation of of his of his dark side as a filmmaker as, as, as him doing something that is kind of 
really quite kind of brutal and confrontational and 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 sort of channeling like the thing is it's very like it's very obvious like it's one of those things where within three minutes it's like very obviously a mike lee film um you know through the through this kind of tenor of the performances the dialogue and and the way the way it's shot and 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 i think the soundtrack as well the mike lee um sorry just a a quick diss before we go on mike lee for me has the 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 worst soundtrack energy of any filmmaker he always has these terrible kind of spanish guitar plinky plonky things happening in the background and i actually you know what the the score made me think of and i was trying to like put my finger on it the whole time and then my boyfriend told me it sounds like the music in uh inspector it, it, it does yeah it's got it's got like kind of tea it it's got like a kind of tea time detective serial mm-hmm. score energy <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah but that's that's a i guess that's a minor facet of the film but but yeah it's very much his um <laughs> Uh, I, I, you know, I think a lot of people see it as his, as his masterpiece. Um, um, yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's it's a fascinating film. I ha- I hadn't seen it for about twenty years before rewatching it tonight, uh, sort of re- this week, and um, and yeah, it really it kind of. I think yeah, I, I was sort of maybe, I was almost a bit scared to rewatch it actually because no- knowing its reputation and knowing how how dark it is i mean the film the film opens on a like very kind of confrontationally on this rape sequence and the character of johnny played by david thewlis is running like basically flitting from manchester before he's beaten up only to go to london to have like the worst the worst time ever but perhaps deservedly so considering he is uh you know uh, what 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 i think is, is, is the kids now call an unlikable character um um but yeah it's it's um i i guess let let i'll pass over to elena because like you know i i could i could rabbit on but like come back to me because i have got some some thoughts on this just come straight in with a soundtrack this and then pass the mic yes <laughs> elena was it was this a first watch for you you watched it before what would you make of naked uh, yeah, it was my first watch, and I didn't. Um, I knew of the film, but didn't really know anything about it or what it was about or anything. So I went in completely cold, um, and it was quite a, an interesting experience. Um, I was a bit, because basically I don't know the films of Mike Lee super well. I've seen the, for some reason the one that I really remember that I've seen is Topsy Turvy, which is also <laughs> unlike anything else he's made. So it's really strange. Um, so I was so when I was watching, I was trying to piece together things that I that I could sort of grab on to try and understand. And the thing that really struck me is that it's such a sort of nineties sort of turn of the millennium film because there's all this talk of the apocalypse. There's all this talk about the turn of the millennium and how the world is going to end. There's also all this sort of quite. Um, Things that I think at the time were really cool, but now that feels so quite passé. Where people, you know, um, all this like sort of we're connected thing, but not done through like stories of people who are connected. Though that's also kind of the case here, but like through like people talking about like the butterfly effect <laughs> and talking about like uh, quotes from the Bible and stuff, and like just like very like, did you know this? Did you know that? Like factoids like this, which I found quite, in a way endearing <laughs> i don't think that's the intention but because there are so many films from the 90s that do this um so that was kind of interesting and i didn't think mike lee would do this so i was a bit confused surprised um but yeah but it's such i thought it was quite in a way because like i feel like so many of those films from the 90s that are sort of about quite existentialist i guess about like what's the meaning of life why is everything awful why is the world falling apart the world is going to end which is true um, are quite like endearing because it's um, they, they're made uh, in a in a spirit of such like angst that I think was very particular of the of the era and which I guess you know it's still it, it's not like they're wrong or they're you know they're they're mistaken about the reality but it's just I, I feel like it's such a thing of the time like even mm-hmm. the Matrix is like that you know even uh, all these films about uh, the devil coming to like you know make a son before the term they're all like this and they're all very intense and they all really appeal to something really primal in you 
in anyone who's being anxious. Um, and yeah, and, and I, but then I was, try, but then I also thought that the film was a bit, in a way, quite simplistic with this stuff sometimes. Um, and I, but then I was trying to, I was talking about it with other people, and they told me, oh yeah, but you have to understand, like this was just after Margaret Thatcher's had gone away, and the UK was so awful, everything was in shambles, and and to have Mike Lee make this really angry film because it is a very, very angry film, was, like, amazing and just a thrilling thing. And, like, I can't... I, I wasn't there, obviously. I mean, I was born in 93, so <laughs> I wasn't there. Um, but, like, to... It's kind of interesting to try and put myself in those shoes and try to understand what it would have been like to be there at the time and watch this really, really angry film, really quite aggressive film, corrosive film, about very much... Not very subtly about... <laughs> Uh, the UK and all the problems at the time and all the way people can't communicate with each other and the, the way there's all this like aggression built in every conversation, every relationship and there's there's no there's almost no goodness in anything so yeah No, no, it's, it's really fascinating also, but... because it is such a, held up as such a sort of British film and a very particular point in British history you know this is only a couple of years before you know cool Britannia and Britpop and new labor and things can only get better uh you know very changes the the the, the te tenor of the cultural conversation and we're sort of still in some ways in the grip of that now back then it was you know there was a very strong radical voice and Mike Lee in this film, we do focus so much on Johnny David Thewlis's character, but there is also this sort of American psycho yuppie character that is also go, go making his way through um, the narrative. And we tend to forget that because Mike Lee's yuppie characters are often quite monstrously, um, you know, grotesque in, in the depiction and you know less well performed. But it does have this sort of sense of the yuppie is the real power, the despots of conservative Britain and. Johnny is almost the uh, the court jester, a uh, pseudo intellectual who thinks that through reading books and spouting either some form form of intellectual bullying that he has with everybody, where he just sort of comes up in their face and just talks over them, really is quite ineffectual in the end and just causes destruction wherever he goes. So it is a very hopeless film that still, for me, is incredibly compelling. But we should talk about David Thewlis because. The legacy of this film is almost him. He, of course, he's had a long career in many other films since, but this is the performance. Imagine having a performance like this so early in your career, and there are, there's like a whole generation of particularly British male actors who point to this performance as the, um, you know, the, the holy grail. Um, David, what's David Thewlis doing in this film? <laughs> How would we describe well, it? Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean. It's it, it. I mean, it is a jaw-dropping thing. I mean, it is like you know, on a, on a kind of technical level, there are some. I mean, just just there are some monologues that he delivers, um, in in single takes, where you're watching and you're you're kind of thinking, how can someone physically enunciate and talk and express stuff that quickly and that cogently? And how yeah, how like how can the sort of synapses be firing? in a way that is actually allowing this performance to kind of come through. So on that, on that level, it really is like, you know, the, 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 the you know, this, I think that the first moment you get is when he arrives in the flat in London and he's talking to Leslie Sharp and he's kind of, you know, who, 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 with whom he had a kind of relationship with. And yeah, you're just kind of banjacked by it. It's really quite, quite incredible. I think it's also the, like very much the product of, mike lee's sort of modus operandi as well because like one of the the way he kind of builds characters sort of famously that you know for a mike lee film which is kind of rare for cinema now you you go on a quite an extensive pre-production uh period where you kind of built you know he basically builds these characters entire lives so like you, you know you, you you're when you actually come to the film the character has experiences and life and and things to draw on in the past that so you're seeing them in this small window but like a lot of stuff is kind of being being channeled from the past so and and i think that maybe in this film Thewlis's performance is 
the re- is 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 one of the greatest examples of that i think of like a a, a kind of seeing seeing like a window on a person like a, a fragment of their life that is representative of you know years and years of collective ex- collected experience and it, and probably like pain and trauma as well and probably pain trauma inflicted on others mm-hmm. so um but yeah i mean it, it it really yeah as you say it really kind of one of the things i really aside from the soundtrack stuff i mean one of the things that sometimes sticks in my craw with mike lee is his kind of depiction of like anyone slightly kind of above working class sort of work middle working class like i mean yeah the greg crutwell's jeremy in this film the 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 sort of yuppie is just i mean it take i think his performance completely takes me out of the film it's like something it's something from a different type of of movie um and he does this with like in high hopes as well he does it and i I actually think topsy-turvy is an interesting film because it is like dealing with those characters as the main character so he's actually sort of like moving away from the sort of grotesque Hogarthian caricatures um and they are actors as well in topsy-turvy so he can play with the fact that they are actors all the time so it makes sense but I I just I I would say also like Dave Fury's performance is absolutely amazing but I do think it sort of seems to play into something that the film does which seems to me like almost like sort of to pity this guy almost to think that he's a bit of a hero a bit of a legend (laughs) And I, I and when I was watching the film, I was a bit like, okay, but like some of his arguments, like there's a whole sequence where he's talking to the guy who's just, you know, looking after empty space, empty offices, and he, he goes on all this like, oh, there's no future and thing, which is true. There's no future. I agree. I get it. I get it. But like some of his arguments are a bit like simplistic, a bit like you know, school school boys, college type. I, I think the whole film is basically the the purpose of the film because it doesn't really have a narrative. Is just you know, it's just. Can we sympathise with Johnny? Can we sympathise with Johnny? Every scene, you just ask that question, yeah. and and the, the the kind of the the barometer, the sort of the needle moves, and you have to kind of keep asking and asking and asking, and you see that final scene, and you're like, there's no there's no answer to that question, you know, like there's the, that that's yeah. the kind of beauty of the film is that you kind of you spend like two two and a bit hours asking this question that there's not really an answer to, and by the end, there's still no answer. It's a it's mm. a really fascinating film, and it's, you know you can show it to you know twelve people, and you'll come back with a dozen different readings of it. Um, not one to throw mm. on on a rainy afternoon, maybe. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, steal yourselves and uh, watch. Perfect yeah. cinema viewing. Actually, it's got that kind of night. You know, it's well, got, it's, it's it's got that London sort of, film after yeah. last night in Soho a couple of weeks ago, and also in. Yeah, I think I've walked past that house actually, like in Dalston. And you can go down to Lena Stores on. Um, to Brewer Street and shout mm. Maggie as loud as you want. <laughs> <laughs> Let's all do that next time we're all together. Uh, but that is Naked. I just want to shout out at the end, there's this beautiful little moment where Leslie Sharp and David Thewlis sing this song, Take Me Back to Manchester When It's Raining, that's been stuck in my head more than anything from Tick Tick Boom. And there's a beautiful story behind that. Mike Lee <laughs> remembered being taught it when he was a kid by school friends. And it turns out that it was written by like a primary school teacher for a school play, never recorded. And it, now this is basically the only recorded um, actually artifact of this little sort of music hall ditty about Manchester. Wow. And I'm going to Manchester this weekend and maybe it'll be raining. So <laughs> maybe it's very <laughs> appropriate. Sing it. <laughs> Record it. Lay it down. So Naked is out on Blu-ray for the first time. It's also getting some film screenings as part of the BFI's sort of major UK-wide Mike Lee celebration that's happening this autumn. It's also screenings at home in Manchester, which is very appropriate because Mike Lee grew up in Salford and has a relationship with Manchester long-standing throughout his career. There's also a release on Blu-ray of Bleak Moments, which is Mike Lee's debut film feature from 1971 which is really interesting to go and watch because he makes that film and doesn't make a feature film again theatrical feature for like 17 years until High Hopes he goes a lot of telly in between so it's interesting seeing what would a 1970s shot on film Mike Lee feature be so big moments also worth checking out and there's further details of all the BFIs Mike Lee activities at www.bfi.org.uk slash Mike dash Lee. Listeners, lots of chat this week. Let us know what you make of any of the films we discussed, Mike Lee favourites maybe, at truthandmovies at tcolondon.com via email or tweet us at LWLies. Oh, next week, 
some great films. We have Drive My Car, Ryosuke Hamaguchi's festival favourites. We have the latest from Celine Sciamma, Petite Maman. And in Film Club, going back to the 80s for Ghostbusters. David, Eleanor, thank you so much for joining me this week. It's been such a pleasure talking through these films with you. Listeners, please subscribe wherever you pod. And if your podcast player of choice lets you leave reviews, we'd love you to leave one for us as well. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Truth and Movies is a Little Dot Studios production for Little White Lies. The podcast is hosted by me, Michael Leader, and my guests this week were Eleanor Lazic and David Jenkins. The podcast is produced by Jake Cunningham and Harold McShiel and edited by Steph Watts and James Payne. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.